And we will go out to the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline right now. Like I said, covers the NFL for NFL.com. He's a Cleveland native. He just got back from Vegas yesterday after hopefully indulging a little bit in some of the festivities while, while enjoying the Super Bowl as well. Nick Shook joining us on the show. Nick, how's it going, my friend? How are your travels? It's going quite well. The travels were uh, much wanted after eight days in Vegas, which is way <laughs> too long, but we had a good Super Bowl to top it off. Two, uh, two days is about right in Vegas, two to three? Yep, even in a working capacity, four times that is too long. <laughs> uh, how was Vegas, just from an overarching standpoint, because I heard some sort of mixed reviews on, like, traffic was pretty bad, they weren't really ready for that. Um, how was Vegas overall just as a Super Bowl city? Um, yeah, good and bad. Uh, traffic was indeed terrible, especially from about Thursday to Sunday. Uh, the strip was a parking lot on Friday and Saturday. The sidewalks became a human parking lot on Friday and Saturday. Um, but the game itself, I mean, the festivities around it were, um, I mean, endless. There was just so many different things you could go to and places to check out and events to attend and all that good stuff. And the festivities, I mean, they were just fantastic. But Vegas, which is typically a tourist town, uh, was like a tourist town uh, times a thousand. It was like on steroids. Uh, just the, the, it was just the, the amount of people overall and the, the energy there was, um, high, if not aggressive some days, uh, there were good and bad to it for sure. Um, you, you know, but the, the stadium, I mean, my God, what a beautiful stadium. The game was great. You know, Super Bowl Sunday was fantastic. Uh, as somebody who was there very long, you know, probably would have gotten to the point where couple days prior i was like all right i'm I'm ready to get to the game let's do this but um from a marketing standpoint it was an absolute boon did you have any good stories from a late night gambling like did you wake up with a tiger in the bathroom like uh like the hangover like anything good from your uh time in vegas well as an nfl employee i was prohibited from gambling at all <laughs> just as i am That's prohibited fair. from gambling on sports year round uh we couldn't participate in any gambling because uh on a work trip so i stayed away from all that uh, you know, stayed away from the table games, the slots, the, the the casino in general, unless you have to walk through it, which you basically have to walk through to get to anywhere in Vegas. The sports book undoubtedly very, very far away from that. But, um, I mean, there was – you would just run into random stars. One night I just ran into J.R. Smith and Cam Newton, and then they That's came awesome. back the next night and saw him again. Another day I walked I ran into Josh Dobbs, told him hello, congratulations on a nice season. You know, Cleveland appreciates you and all that good stuff. But you couldn't really go anywhere without seeing somebody. Did J.R. Smith have his shirt on? He did. Okay. And deep down, I wanted to go up to him and thank him for what he did for the Cavaliers. <laughs> but I didn't have it in me to do that because I'm not the type of person to go up and ask for a picture or anything. But I, I wanted way. to. I definitely wanted to. I saw him, and I, was, I had plans to go somewhere else. And once I saw him, I was like, I'm staying right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so awesome. I'm glad he had his shirt on, although I know we appreciate when he doesn't have it on here in Cleveland. Uh, Nick Shook. NFL.com joining us on the show. You you mentioned the game. That's the real kind of root in the cause of being out there in the first place. I, I like. I think one of the big takeaways for me. I, I know the the Monday afterwards is supposed to kind of be this freeing feeling of well everybody's O and O today and it's all about 2024. But I kind of walked away feeling like man, in a down year, the Chiefs still go out and they win the Super Bowl. And I'm kind of just left asking, how the hell does anybody beat the Chiefs as long as Mahomes is out there in the field lacing them up? Well, that's the downside of, of a down year is that if you don't have a superior team to face them, then you're always going to have to worry about that. And I mean, it even goes back to my game prediction. I had the Chiefs winning 27 to 23 going into that game. 
And the reason was is I could see them being down three points and Mahomes has the ball in his hand and they need a late touchdown and, and I trust him to go get the game winning touchdown, which is exactly what happened. The Niners had the chances. They blew a lot of early chances. They could have been up as much as seventeen to nothing in that yeah. first half. They shot themselves in the foot with four or five penalties in the first quarter. Didn't capitalize on sudden change situations. Um, didn't capitalize on scoring situations and opportunities to put the game away late. They left the door open. And if there's one team that's going to barge down through that door, it's, it's Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, I tweeted, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes once again leaving us all with our jaws on the floor right after they scored and won the game. And I got all these respo- responses of people, what, what was so great about him? He threw a bunch of short passes inside 10 yards. Oh, that's real great. It's like, did you see him engineer those last two drives? Did you see him get him down there and kick the game tiny field goal? Did you see him? scramble to pick up a third and a fourth down in overtime to keep them alive and go down and score the game-winning touchdown. I mean, that's that's special stuff, and that's why he's a special guy. As we think about the Browns and them trying to sort of build to compete for with that team and, and, and for a Super Bowl, and obviously other fan bases are thinking the same thing, but like, what do they take away from Kansas City to in terms of like how they build? Like, What do you have to build in a team to try to take down that team knowing that you have to face Patrick Mahomes? That's the funny thing is they were kind of a flawed team. Every team that was in contention this year had some flaw or another, but what they have is a franchise quarterback and a superstar quarterback who can find ways to get the job done even when the teammates around them aren't as good as they were in previous years. And that's really the biggest difference. That's what, for the Browns, Deshaun Watson needs to become to really elevate this team. You know, you got bits of it with Joe Flacco just going out there and freewheeling it, slinging it all over the yard for better or for worse, and it got them to the playoffs, and it also got them blown out in the playoffs. Uh, you have to have a quarterback who's at a higher level than that that's first and foremost, and you have to be able to surround them with quality talent. I think the Browns have those pieces, and a defense that played really well. Uh, you know, obviously, number one defense in terms of total yards allowed per game. Um, Jim Schwartz wins assistant coach of the year. Kevin Stefanski wins coach of the year. You got all the awards to back it up. Now you just got to go out there and put it together, and I think it really does start and almost finish with quarterback. Since you brought him up, we'll, we'll come back to some Super Bowl stuff here in a, in a minute, but since you brought up to Sean, should we be more worried than maybe – we're, we're maybe discussing or even thinking about just in, in regards to Deshaun's shoulder and that he could maybe be diminished in, in terms of his play because of it. Because I try to go back, Nick, and find similar injuries, like a, a fractured glenoid and a player who's come back from that. And I can't really find any in the NFL, and I can't really find many across sports in general. So I don't really know what to expect. Like, the, obviously, the medical professionals are saying, oh, he'll be fine. He'll be able to go back out there and play, and he should be good by next year. But until we actually see him throw the football, it's hard to know. So is that more of a concern, you think, than maybe what we are anticipating? Uh, I think it's a wait-and-see thing. The timing, even though it, it was unfortunate for their 2023 season, actually could benefit them because you know it happened at the halfway point of the season. Um, gives them a really long road to recovery. You know, to be able to recover and, and get back to throwing and knock off some of that rust. But you really won't tell until he takes the field. And you hope that, you know, the change in offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, and all the time to heal and rehab and get strong again, you know, maybe he'll be able to pick up where he left off. Maybe this offense suits him better than it did with Alex Van Pelt's OC. I mean, you know, maybe Dorsey's the guy that Kevin Stefanski needed in his ear to be able to help, you know, change the identity of this offense to fit Deshaun Watson's strengths. All I know is right before he got hurt, he was playing the best football of his time in Cleveland. And it was a bummer that, you know, we couldn't see that continue because who knows how far they could have gone had he been able to play for the rest of the year. And, and you know, that's that's a big boost to confidence, especially for a guy that's dealt with pressure for years. You know, a lot of it created by his own actions, but he was finally kind of getting over that hump. And you just hope that that's where he starts the season instead of at the bottom of the hill again. At the Nick Shook on X, Nick Shook joining us on the show. You mentioned Dorsey. Um, 
where do you stand on sort of the back and forth on who should call the plays? Because I, I at this point, there's kind of been mixed reporting on it. Some believe Dorsey will be the guy, and that's why he was brought here. Others believe Stefanski isn't going to give it up, and he was more so just looking for collaboration on some things for Deshaun. What do you think is the right decision, though, and who ultimately gets that? Uh, that I think the latter makes sense um, because Stefanski has earned that right, or at least yeah. that first right of refusal. Uh, he's, I mean, he did a fantastic job coaching up that offense to fit around Joe Flacco's strengths, which is the type of quarterback that probably fits Stefanski's identity more as a coach than a Deshaun Watson. But I think that it, bringing in Dorsey um, should open up your possibilities for how you can adjust that offense because of what he did with Josh Allen. The only thing I worry about is Dorsey liked to rely on Josh Allen a whole lot in the running game, and that is not who the Browns have been. Ideally, after Watson dealt with his injuries, you don't run him all that much. I'm sure there will be a wrinkle or two in there, no doubt, because Watson still is a mobile guy. But really need to strike that balance between what the Browns were before and what they might be, you know, after Dorsey arrives, and and hopefully in the name of collaboration, uh, they can produce a better product for a system that fits Deshaun Watson than they were able to do with Alex Van Pelt. Circling back to the Super Bowl for a second, when the, the I guess the only somewhat good reason I've heard as to why Shanahan didn't take the ball uh, second in overtime was that he somebody sort of said maybe he wanted to give his defense a breather because the the Chiefs went on a long drive before that to start the overtime, but. Even that, I guess, is a little bit suspect. Just how surprised were you that he made that decision in that moment to to take the ball first? That was actually the answer that a lot of the Chiefs players that I talked to after the game gave. Mm, that's good uh, to know. Nick Bolton, you Nick actually, Bolton, Chris you, honestly, Jones. Nick, you you might have been the person who I saw like have like sharing that on social media. So that might have been where I got that from too. <laughs> yeah, Nick Bolton, <laughs> Justin Reed, Chris Jones—they all kind of echoed that same sentiment, which is they their defense has just been out there a long time on that last drive. I mean, it was a minute forty, but you know, it was like a. 13 play drive or whatever it was to get down there and kick that field goal in a high pressure situation. You only get like two or three minutes between that and the start of overtime. So it made sense to get them a breather. And then Shanahan's other thing was that I wanted to have the ball third if they had matched him. And he had every reason to believe that they would match them because they had held them to field goals. To that point, they hadn't really broken down and allowed a touchdown in a while other than the, you know, muffed punt, you know, the, that went off a, a 49ers player. And then it was muffed by the guy who had attempted to recover it. Um, I mean, other than that, they hadn't really crumbled at all and broke down. So I understand why he did it. I get the logic and wanting to be the, the team with the ball third, try and go win the game and put an end to it. But at the same time, you know, it, it's fair to question why he did that. Because if you go by college rules, you know, if, if both teams have an opportunity to score, you want to know what you have to go get. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people said in that moment. And so I think there's two sides of that coin, and there's fair arguments to be made on both sides. And because of the situation, his defense probably did need a breather. I think we're overanalyzing, just like we did with uh, Dan Campbell and the whole NFC yeah. Championship game and going for it on fourth down a few times. I mean, the worst decision in that game was running the ball in third and goal at the end of the game and yeah. you know forcing yourself to burn a timeout. Uh, that was their worst decision. It wasn't the fact that he had gone for it a couple times because that was part of their identity. So once again, I think we're overanalyzing because we have nothing better to do. Yeah, because that, <laughs> that's what we like to do, and especially in sports talk radio, right? Yeah, I, it, I think you're right that it's it's probably an overanalyzing thing and the decision-making behind it can make sense from whatever angle you kind of attack it and however he was kind of thinking through it. There was also the wrinkle that that came out about, you know, Patrick Mahomes saying we were going to go for two if we scored a touchdown and we went f- – and, and we um, – if they had scored a touchdown. So there's a lot of different sort of reasons for things and, you know, you just never know how it's going to play out. But I think that that might be a, a fair stance on it that it's just what we like to do when it comes to, to sports is, is point the finger somewhere. And, and speaking of pointing the finger, just – where do you stand on how we should judge 
Shanahan at this point. Now that he's lost two Super Bowls as a head coach, and we obviously know the other blemish on his resume is the one he got to with Atlanta where he refused to run the football and he let the Patriots back into it. You know, he caught himself in that in that uh, unfortunate cycle in the third quarter. And I sat there and talked to my colleague, Kevin Pratcher, and I said, he's doing it again. He's doing 28-3 again right now. He's throwing the ball when he doesn't need to throw the ball. He's becoming predictable. This is bad. But he did try to adjust. He did show a little bit of growth. In the fourth quarter, he did run the ball like four or five straight plays, toss pitches to the left to Christian McCaffrey that were working quite well. It's just that they weren't able to finish those drives. You know, they got inside the 30, and they had that crucial third and five where Spagnuolo dials up the blitz, and and, uh, Trent McDuffie gets in there and bats the pass down. They complete that pass. That game's over. But they didn't. And if they complete the pass on third and goal from the nine, they, you know, score a touchdown and or at least get closer. And they didn't. They had to kick a field goal. So it's the, you know, the margins are so slim in the NFL and especially in the Super Bowl between two contenders like that, that it's the little moments where you look back and think, ah, man, if we only would have gotten that. I didn't think he did a terrible job as, as a coach. I think they just wasted some opportunities early and then paid for it later when, you know, the Chiefs came storming back. And, I mean, credit to them. They did, you know, Find a way to, I mean, fourth down, he, he goes for it, just quick out to George Kittle against Justin Reed. He wins on leverage, and they get the first down by about a yard. I mean, that was a big gutsy move. That ends up in a touchdown on that drive. They win the game. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about how they handled the fourth quarter, but results often dictate the narrative. Hyundai Santa Cruz. Steelers are going to look at other quarterback options. Ryan Tannehill's popped up in the conversation, Russell Wilson, and the other big name, Justin Fields. Um, sitting here on February 13th, who do you think will ultimately be the starting quarterback for Pittsburgh next year? Uh, probably Kenny Pickett. Uh, Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph pushes him in camp, makes it close. They go with Kenny. Short leash situation, year of uncertainty. If I was a Browns fan and, and was looking at this, I'd be worried about Justin Fields because yeah. I think Justin Fields in the right situation can blossom into a star just because of the natural talent he has and what he showed off at Ohio State and what he showed in glimpses in Chicago. It's been a bad situation for him. All he needs is a better situation and a fresh start, in my opinion. I think he's going to get that in Atlanta. Maybe New England, there's an outside chance of that. But if it does end up in Pittsburgh, if I'm Browns fans, I'm upset about that because, once again, they luck into something. But right now, as it stands, with Kenny Pickett on the roster and the Steelers actively trying to re-sign Mason Rudolph, I would expect the battle to be between those two guys and for Pickett to win slightly unless he just regresses dramatically and it ends up being Rudolph. Um, that, that's basically the most realistic scenario right now. I'll get you out of here with this. Browns have a number of sort of needs this offseason. I think wide receivers near the top of the list. Obviously, they're going to have to sort of sort through what the defensive line looks like and bringing some of those guys back or adding new guys. Is there a player that comes to mind It can be at any position that's somewhat of a notable name? I'm not saying it has to be like a blockbuster trade or some ma- major thing, but a player that comes to mind that you think will be a Cleveland Brown next year. No, and the reason is <laughs> they don't have a lot of money. <laughs> that is true. People don't really look at that and realize that, like, you know, Watson's contract, I mean, it's like with any team. I mean, look at the Chiefs. They've had to resupply through the draft uh, through the last few years, and it hurt them at receiver this year, and they didn't have, you know, a number one star receiver on that team, and it hurt them all the way. You know, they still won the Super Bowl. They won in spite of that situation. I think the Browns should try to retain as much as they can and build to the draft picks that they have just because they're not going to be operating with a ton of money. It just makes me laugh because, you know, anytime I tweeted about uh, pending free agent playing for the Niners or playing for the Chiefs, I had a Browns fan slide in and be like, future running mate to whatever, like Chris Jones, Miles Garrett's future running mate. Or, you know, I saw like a T Higgins for a future running mate of Amari Cooper type thing. It's like, guys, I think we got to set our standards a little <laughs> bit lower because I think the financial uh, belt is a little tighter than you guys realize. He's Nick Shook. 
NFL.com covers all things NFL. You can follow him on X at the Nick Shook. Nick, you know I always appreciate you giving me 15 to 20 minutes of your time, man. I, I can't thank you enough. Appreciate you jumping in here with us after your, your trip to the Super Bowl. Now go get some rest.